0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 89 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 14th of October 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 21. And the Bible readings are taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. you would like to open your Bible first of all to Ephesians chapter 2. When you found it, stick your finger there and then flip back to the book of Acts, chapter two. Ephesians chapter two and Acts chapter two. Now, we would like to welcome all those who are not members and regular attenders here. It's great to have Walter and Violi with us only about two more weeks till they head back, I think. About a week till they're supposed to become grandparents again. And then uh, they'll be heading back to the Philippines in about two weeks. So pray for them as they uh, make that journey there. All right. Now, if you've not been here, you've got a little bit of catching up. I think we're up to sermon number 89 in this series. Uh, about two years we've been working at it. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, it's just amazing. I never intended for the series to be that long when I started. Uh, but, uh, well... It could have been a whole lot longer. There's so much more. It's just like uh, we'll see as we look into God's Word today. uh, It's absolutely phenomenal how many messages I could have gotten out of these uh, verses. But uh, uh, we thank God at this point in our Contending for the Faith series and looking at those foundational, fundamental truths that we are to be contending for in the faith, uh, we've been looking at uh, the glorious church of Jesus Christ uh, and as we look at the church, uh, this will be the 21st in those, and it's the second that we've been looking at the, the operation of that New Testament church. And so I invite you uh, to open your Bibles. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's Word. First of all, from Acts chapter 2, we'll read verses 41 through 47. The Word of God says, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, the Word of God says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit." Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, for this freedom, privilege, wonderful opportunity that we have today to be gathered together here in your house. Lord, help us not to take this lightly. Help us to to realize, Lord, what a wonderful opportunity that it is. And Lord, as we gather, we thank you for the time that we've been able to share in prayer and in song and things up to this point in the service. But now, Lord, as we look into your word... We thank you, God, that we can have the confidence of knowing that it's your word that is before us and that by the power of your spirit from within us, Lord, that you can take and speak to our hearts this morning that which is not possible for man. And, Lord, that's what we ask for and that's what we desire. Lord, you know the need of every heart in this place. We pray that, Lord, they would not hear the words of man today, but, Lord, that you would get this man out of the way that for your glory and your honor alone, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, Lord, that you would accomplish what you would in the lives of each and every one here today, and we, we will give you all the praise, all the honor for it. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, our passage from Acts chapter 2 is the portion in God's Word where we find the, the very first church, there in Jerusalem. And we find that as we began to look through there, that there are are some functions of that church that we're going to look at. But last week we began by laying a little bit of a foundation if we're going to consider just what it is that the church should be doing. What are the functions of a church? Because we said churches do all kinds of things. Uh, what we want to look at is what are the biblical foundation? What are the, the biblical marks or signs, if you would, of a New Testament church? What should a church be doing? And, of course, we went back and kind of laid a foundation upon the things that we've already looked at concerning the church, that there were some conclusions that could be drawn for that. And we we finished up here in looking at this passage in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and we finished up with that thought there, in whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Now, we know that not only from what we're reading here, but certainly specifically here and other places that we've looked, here is talking about that foundation that we've already talked about to some degree, but that that foundation of the church is not that physical foundation which is absolutely necessary for this brick and mortar building to sit upon. But the Word of God here is talking about that spiritual foundation. That spiritual foundation, he says, of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You take away the cornerstone and everything else falls in. That's what starts it. That's what keeps everything in line. Now, as we realize that this is not just speaking in a, in a physical sense, it literally is Jesus Christ himself that everything else rests upon. If you take away Jesus, the church will crumble to nothing. The church cannot stand without him, simply without Jesus Christ. There is no church it's also literally true that Jesus Christ personally himself, he chose these men that we call the apostles. And these men, they were, they were trained by him and they were, they were sent out by him to carry that, that good news of the gospel to the people in all the towns and villages. And those men were used by him, literally, physically, in their fleshly bodies to found and establish the first New Testament churches that were ever put upon this earth. And that's important. But sometimes we kind of take that and and just leave it there. But folks, what the word of God is saying to us here goes much, much deeper than that. We know that John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The Word was God. The Word. The Logos. Not just the audible words that came out, but the whole process of everything, of, of all that God is, of His thought, of everything that it took place before that the actual physical Word was spoken. Jesus Christ. The Bible says, In the beginning, God was that Word. But it also says down in verse 14 that that Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, we find that Jesus Christ was here in the flesh. But as He came and dwelt in the flesh, He was the Word. We find that the prophets, the apostles, They were God's spokesmen. They were real men. They stood there, they preached, and they taught these people as they established these New Testament churches. But they were also used of God, not just in the messages and the teachings they were giving to the people of their day, but through divine revelation. They gave those people those truths, but they also, those truths were recorded for you and I today. Those early churches, they they taught those divine doctrines, those teachings that came directly from God himself. We saw in our reading in Acts that they continued steadfastly in those doctrines. But aren't you glad? that as they were given out there in the first church in Jerusalem and right through all the churches that we read about in the New Testament, that God saw fit to record them for you and I today? You see, God did do that. And what we still have and hold today is just as much God's truth, God's word, as when those men spoke it some couple of thousand years ago. I would refer you back because we don't have time to go back and cover it. Sermon number eight in this series. When we were first embarking upon these fundamentals, these foundational truths of Scripture, we said there. We looked at the foundation upon which everything else that we looked at would be built, would be laid. That being the very Word of God. We discussed in Fairly significant detail that relationship between the Bible, which is the written Word of God, and Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. We saw the relationship between Christ, the apostles, the Word of God, as being that foundation of everything in our faith. That's what we have to go by. It's not what we think, it's not what we can figure out for ourselves, it's not what we can get in our education or educate others, it's what God gives us in his word. That's what we've got to build it upon. Too much of Christendom today is built upon denominational ideas and man's ideas and what men think. We have this foundation that God has given to us. That same divine revelation that was brought through the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. That's what a church today, a New Testament church, must be built upon. And of course we see further that this church, the church which Jesus Christ is building, upon this foundation of the apostles and the prophets both physically and spiritually, which Jesus Christ himself is the one that's doing the building. He's the one that's fitting it out as this speaks of here in our scriptures today. Each and every new believer, it's him that takes that, that believer and places him into this building that he's building, this, this church, this spiritual church. Too often we try to build it. (laughs) We try to figure out where to place people and where people should be. But that's not the building of a New Testament church. It tells us here that He's the one. He's the one in whom all the building fitly framed together. Jesus Christ is the one that's fitting everything together perfectly. Now... (laughs) The problem is in the local churches down here, we can mess it up sometimes because we get in His way. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ will build the local church just as He will, that church that will be called out at the rapture one day and be together all for the first time. Truth is, is that even though we can mess things up down here, nobody can mess up that true church that will be called out at the rapture. (laughs) He's building it perfectly But you see, we're supposed to be, as we saw when we talked about all of that, we're supposed to be. The portrayal of that, that's what our our local church should be. His church. It says, framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. His church continues to grow. Him building it. Him fitly fitting every piece together right where it's supposed to be until that last individual that's to be saved gets saved. When will that be? I don't Praise God, it could be right here this morning. We don't know when that day is, but it's growing piece by piece, person by person, as Jesus Christ himself places them there. Now, we've already talked about the fact that it's being built as a holy temple, he says here groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. <laughs> That's the only place that can be holy <laughs> is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the problem. Too many are built in man. But this church, the New Testament church that Jesus Christ is, is, is building, that is built upon the apostles and the prophets Jesus Christ himself being that chief cornerstone, him fitting everything together as it should be, him putting each one in place where they ought to be, growing one by one, person by person, as they're saved, as they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in the Lord. And I like what it says. We talked about this in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. If the New Testament church, if it's being built by, built upon, built in Jesus Christ as a holy temple in which, what was that? An habitation of God in which God himself is going to dwell through the Holy Spirit, it says here. That should should tell us something. You see, as we think about how this New Testament church is supposed to operate according to the Scriptures, as we begin to look at some of the functions and we'll be looking at some of those things that a New Testament church must do if it's going to be a New Testament church. But you see, before doing that, I believe these verses tell us something here that we must consider. Before we're concerned about the functions of the church, we need to look at the focus of the church the focus of a New Testament church. This church that is a spiritual habitation of God through the Spirit. What should that say to us? Well, let me refer you back to a few things if we just stop and ponder and think for a moment. Look back with me in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus and look at Exodus chapter 25 some directions were being given to Moses here for a specific purpose. And that purpose was for the building of the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, notice how it begins here in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering, and this is the offering which ye shall take of them: gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goats' hair and ramskins skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod. And in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. God said, Moses, you're going to build a tabernacle. For what reason? That I may dwell among them among the, the the nation of Israel God needed a place to dwell among them we find that if you look over in chapter 40 the book of Exodus we find there in verse 33 and 34 it says and he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court guard notice it says so Moses finished the work. And what happened? God said, build me a tabernacle. I'm going to tell you exactly, specifically, every piece needs to go here and here and here and what it's going to be made out of. In other words, God's directions had to be followed explicitly. That work was finished. And in verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, when God went to dwell amongst the nation of Israel, he gave them specific instructions for the place that would be built that was called the tabernacle where he would dwell among his people. It was the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God that filled that place. We find that we already said in John chapter 1, You know, there in verse 14 when we said that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, what are the next words? Jesus Christ. You see, God dwelt in the Old Testament tabernacle, but God dwelt in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And notice what it says next. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When God dwelled in the tabernacle, it was the glory of the Lord that filled that place. When Jesus Christ came, God came in the flesh. The Bible says that when he did, that's when we saw the glory of the Lord that came from him. Just a few chapters later in John chapter 8, verse 50, Jesus said... I seek not mine own glory, but the glory of Him that sent me. It's hard for us to get around this, this whole thing sometimes, but I mean, here's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. But even there, even when Jesus was here walking in the flesh, He wasn't seeking His own glory. He was seeking to glorify God the Father in heaven. So God dwelt in the Old Testament tabernacle, and it was the glory of the Lord that filled that place. God dwelt in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and we beheld his glory. John chapter 14 in the New Testament, there's something told just as Jesus now that was God here dwelling in the flesh, just as he is preparing to leave, to go back to the Father, he tells us something else. John chapter 14, notice what he says beginning in verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit, Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you in a little while. The world seeth me no more, but ye shall see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know. Jesus said that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. You see, the simple truth is, in the Old Testament, God dwelled in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies and it was the Shekinah glory of God. Matter of fact, it was such that there was only one that could even enter into that place and only he could do it once a year. And even then, they had to tie the cord around his ankle so that they could pull him back out if something happened to him because nobody could ever go in to get him. What I want you to realize is God came to his people. He said, I'm going to dwell among you, but you're going to have to build me a tabernacle. And I'm going to dwell in that place. That's where I'm going to dwell. And that's where the glory of the Lord filled and shone forth. But then there came a time, because it was Jesus that came, and boy, he he ripped that curtain down, didn't he? (laughs) Jesus Christ, God, came in the flesh. And when he came and dwelled among us, we beheld his glory. It was the glory that came from him. Jesus is now getting ready to go back to heaven. But he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. (laughs) You see, I'm still going to live and dwell among you. But we're going to do it different than it's ever been done before. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to live in you. And, and, you know, me and, and the Father and you, we're all one. I'm going to be right there present within you. find that, you see, God dwells in the New Testament believer, the New Testament Christian. It's only by God's Holy Spirit that a person can be drawn and come to faith in the first place. But then that Spirit, when they put that faith in Him, we talked about the baptism and the feeling and all those things, a whole bunch of sermons on the Holy Spirit. They're placed into that body of Christ. <laughs> you see, talking about here in our text, about Jesus building His church, fitting each piece in place just as where He wants it. And it's being built as a holy temple. For the habitation of God. First Peter chapter four, verse eleven. Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Boy, <laughs> I I think I am I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. My memory's not what it was. I think I think of something like two hundred and seventy times in the Bible that the glory of God is spoken of. 270 times that it speaks of God's glory. You know, here the Bible is saying this instruction, if you would, this coming from Peter, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. The reality is what we need to begin to get the picture and grasp some way we're supposed to be one with God. This church is the body of Christ. God's living and dwelling within us. He says, if God's dwelling within us, that which is coming out of our mouth ought to be the words of God. We ought to be speaking. You see, how do we glorify God? Well, you know, I went through and it was interesting because I started out and I thought, well, I could make a list here of about a dozen things, but then that dozen grew to about 20, and that 20 suddenly doubled to about 40. It's amazing when you start trying to run all those 270 passages of God's glory. It's amazing how many ways we can glorify God. But you know, if I could put it in one simple nutshell, Brother Romani, you know the way that we glorify God is to be like Jesus. (laughs) If He's the one that's living and dwelling within us, everything is what we need to grasp, everything. Everything we say and everything we do, we could, go to James, we could go to James chapter 3. Maybe I will, but not this morning. <laughs> James chapter 3, wow. He goes into great detail there in trying to get us to understand the danger of the tongue. How poison that it is. It's more deadly than a snake, than a viper. The words that we speak, they're so important is it the glory of the Lord that's being shown through us? You see, if it were Jesus speaking, everything, every, every word he ever uttered glorified God. You know, that's, that's you know, we try to think, well, what can I say to glorify every word? May I say this? Every word that you speak, every word that comes out of you, will either glorify God or not glorify God. (laughs) Now he says here, let our speech be as the oracles of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. We can spend a lot of time there, folks. We can't glorify God by doing it in our strength. He's saying everything we speak should be as if it's the words coming from God. Everything we do, it shouldn't be done with our strength, with what we can do. It should be to where it glorifies God. It's the ability of God that's even making it possible. And then notice what he says next, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We could say a lot of things. We've said a lot of things already leading up to this. We need to grasp. We need to grasp and understand that where God dwells His glory will be seen. God dwelt in the Old Testament tabernacle. God dwelt in flesh in the body of Jesus Christ. God dwells In the New Testament, Christian, the believer, the child of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You see, if God dwells in the New Testament, Christian, the believer, when we look at our text here in Ephesians, when it talks about us being built into a holy temple that's built together for a habitation of God in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, God dwells in the New Testament church. Where God dwells, his glory will be present. These things should say something to us. They should give us some definite conclusions that's based solely upon what we're seeing here in the word of God. Where God dwells, his glory will be present. That's his intrinsic glory is what we call it. You see, this glory, it is God. It is his very essence. It's the glory that's within himself. It's central to everything that God is. You cannot separate God from his glory. You can't have one without the other because God emanates glory because of who he is. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, as he stood before the council, just before they stoned him to death, Had been long since he was chosen as a deacon of that first church. The world weren't too happy with him. (laughs) Council was pretty upset. Stephen there in chapter 7 verse 2 when he was speaking to them he spoke of the God of glory. Same term that David had used back in Psalm 29 3 calling him the God of glory. Of glory, You see, there is the intrinsic glory of God that is Him, that is who He is, that He will be, and nothing can change that. But we see in these verses also that we should bring, be bringing glory to God. That's what we call His ascribed glory. We, His creatures, His creations, we should be striving in everything that we do, every word that we speak, every action that we take, we should be striving to glorify God. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, beginning in verse 23. The Bible says, sing unto the Lord. All the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen. His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Verse 29, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. You see, he is glory. But because of what he's done for us in saving our wretched souls, and who He is, and all that He is, we should be ascribing glory to Him. We should be glorifying His name. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, notice what it says in verse 19 and 20. The Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of The Holy Ghost which is in you, hmm, maybe that's that habitation of God through the Spirit. (laughs) Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Verse 24, ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit, Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul said, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, according to these verses, according to the verses that we've read, building up to this concerning God, Dwelling in the child of God, dwelling in the believer, dwelling in the Christian through the Holy Spirit. You see, glorifying God, sometimes people think of it as just maybe raising their hands and praising the Lord and singing. It's a lot more. It's important what comes out of the mouth. It's important what comes out of the lips. That's part of it. But the truth is, we get a very clear picture here that he should be glorified not just when we're singing praise songs, not just when we're doing something churchy, but in everything, in everything that we do. That's what Peter said. That's what the Word of God teaches us. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God doeth, that God in all things may be glorified whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, even the simple thing of sitting down to have a meal, of feeding this body physically. You see, everything we do, everything that we do, you say, preacher, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I mean, you know, am I not supposed to have any fun at all? folks i think the biggest problem is and i don't i don't have time to go down this trail this morning biggest problem with most of us as christians we sell out too cheap <laughs> we sell out too cheap we go for those things in the flesh that'll make us happy for a little bit that'll give us a bit of joy that'll give the reality is there is no joy you see, like the joy that we have in him. We, we sell out for things on this earth. You know, in everything that we do, there's a right and a wrong way. You know, how should we be handling this situation? Keep in mind, it's the Lord. You see, it's the Lord that is He. if he's not building his church, then it's not being built. And he's not talking about the brick and mortar. He's talking about the born-again believers, like hopefully you are here this morning. Do you know that out of the English Reformation, there was a document that was born that I'm sure some of you will have heard of. It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was composed with 107 doctrinal questions and the answers to those questions. Some Anglican churches, many Presbyterian churches, and some others still use it today. And No, I don't agree with everything that's in it. But you know how it begins? You know what question number one is? I'm sure you've heard it. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Now, they give a bunch of verses, but the answer is pretty simple, and it's pretty straightforward Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why is man here? What's the, main, what's the purpose of his life? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him. You see, if He really means everything that He should to us, <laughs> He's going to bring us more joy than anything in this world will. You know what the second question is? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Okay, if our chief end is to glorify God, how do we do that? And I said, "Well, you can go through the Bible and you can make a long list. And they got a whole bunch of verses that come after their answer to this one. But the answer is summed up this way. How? The Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Again, I don't say it critical. Simple truth is, is man comes up with a lot of ideas of how we can enjoy ourselves better, even in church. How we can make ourselves happier. How we can enjoy ourselves more. I don't think we're asking the right questions, and we're not going to come up with the right answers. What is the chief end of man as human beings? As God's creation, we very simply are created to glorify him. Matter of fact, he said in Isaiah 43, 7, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. You see, people live and act many times like God was there for us. <laughs> like God's there for me. You know, when, when I get in trouble, when I need a little help, that he's there for me. Folks, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. We get it all turned around in our heads and our actions and the, and the way that we live. The focus of every action in our life, of everything that we do, should be to God's glory. There's never a time that that should be left out. It doesn't matter if it's the everyday things, whether we're eating or whether we're drinking or whether we're working or whether we're at school. We can do it in a way. Jesus Christ walked upon this earth. He was tempted in every point, just like you are, yet without sin. He worked a job as a carpenter. He did the things that you and I do. The thing is that in all of it, when he was out there hammering away as a carpenter, when he was out there sitting down with those sinners, <laughs> that God might be seen in his life. You see, it's not the sitting with the sinner that's the problem. It's why are you sitting with the sinner? He was sitting with the sinner to glorify God. He wasn't sitting with the sinner to join in the sinner's fund to join in his fleshly fun, He was sitting with the sinner. He genuinely loved him. He genuinely cared. He genuinely needed to be there. That doesn't mean that he had to sit there and just, you know, sit down with him and the first moment you're there you start slamming down the tracks and preaching and you know, they'll probably throw you out the door. What's your purpose in being there? To let God be glorified in your life, in everything you say, in everything you do, the way that you treat them? How you treat that sin, the temptation that comes along? You see, what can I do? Will this glorify God? Will these words that I'm speaking, will they glorify God? Will, well, what I'm getting ready to do, will that glorify God? Will the places that I'm going, will it glorify God? Will the clothes that I'm wearing, will they glorify God? Well, the way that I respond to this person, will it glorify God? Can we understand the Bible says in everything, every action that comes out of us should bring glory to God, whatever it is. We should do it in a way, the way that Jesus Christ would do it, that God can be glorified in what we're doing. It shouldn't be based on what will it do for me and How's it going to make me feel? And what am I going to think about this? And what are my friends going to think about this? But what will it do for God? How's God going to feel about this? Remember those bracelets that a lot of people wore a long time, WWJD? What would Jesus do? You know, some people liked them, some didn't. But the question's certainly not a bad one. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Right now, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to go there or am I not? Am I going to wear this I'm not? Am I going to do this or not? Am I going to say this or not? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You see, we're not talking about whether or not you're going to be saved. We're not talking about a whole bunch of legalistic rules that's going to make you a Christian. We're talking about will your life as a believer Will it glorify God? Will it bring glory to Him? This attributed glory that you can give to him. First Corinthians 6:12 says, "All things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." Interesting. You see, there's only one thing in all the world that will decide your salvation, and that's what you do with Jesus Christ. We're not talking about that. But just because something isn't sin doesn't mean that it's good for you. It doesn't mean that it's something that will do you some good. It doesn't mean that it's something that will do God some good. He says even though they're all lawful. I won't allow these things. You know, so many times, habits, addictions, I could go through a list, I'm getting ready to, 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 to write. Every, every one of you church members, you're getting ready to get a long letter from your pastor. Because <laughs> some things I don't want to say over and over and over and over in the pulpit, and I can never get the whole church together at one time. But, you know, we can become addicted to anything. People can become addicted to food to drink, all kinds of things, mobile phones, (laughs) text, internet, Facebook. The list goes on and on. We can become addictive to so many things. The Bible says here, you know, it may not even necessarily, it may not be a sin to send a text, to go on the internet, to do this, to do that. But when you get addicted to it, the Bible says I won't be brought under the power of any. Maybe it's not a sin. But when something else begins to control your life rather than him, then you're missing out. Our lives are not what God meant for them to be. He doesn't want us to be brought under those things. What are we doing? The things that we're doing. What Will the consequences be for you, for the people around you, but most of all for God and for His glory? We need to get hold of this. You see, folks, why does that clock keep running so fast? Our very purpose, our very purpose in living, our very purpose in existing, we're not here to have a good time. Now, I mean, there is a, a, a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory that the Bible talks about. But we're not here to see what I can do to make me happy, to have a good time myself. We are here. We were created from the dust of the ground. Our, our bodies were breathed into by God himself that created and made us a living soul. Why? To bring glory to God. That's our purpose. You see, if you're not glorifying God, whatever else you're doing, you're not fulfilling your purpose in even being a human being. You can't. If you're enjoying other things more than you're enjoying God, then most definitely something is not in the right place in your life. You're being cheated You're being done out of something that's far better. The devil's got you selling out too cheap for these things that in the end are going to be worthless. If if you enjoy the world, the things of the world, more than you enjoy God, I'm simply saying there's something wrong in your spiritual life that you need to get corrected because you're missing out. There's so much more for you. I don't even have time to go into the things that how can you glorify God? You say, I, I, I want you to grasp folks this morning. Our whole purpose in being on this earth is to glorify Him. How can we do that? Well, I've given you the shortest answer. Yes, it's going to come from the Word of God. It was the Word that was flesh. We can glorify God in Christ, through Christ. That's what it said in our text. You see, without Him, outside of Him, we're nothing but filthy sinners, every one of us, and there's no way that's going to bring glory to God. Sin can never glorify God if you aren't in Christ, if you don't belong to Him, if you haven't been washed in the blood, if you haven't been born again. Then may I say, folks, your whole life stands to be a complete waste because you can never glorify Him. Your life will be worthless, vanity, nothing without Christ. God created you to glorify Him. And everything you say and do, plain and simple, and if that's not what your life is doing, then you're losing the meaning of your life. But you've got to first be in Him. And then once you're in Him, you've got to follow Him. He's your example He's the one that showed us how to glorify God. He's the one that we need to learn about day by day from His Word. How can I better? He's the one that needs to control our lives if we're going to glorify God. I can say a lot of things. My time is gone. I'll give you this verse in closing this morning. It comes from a portion of Scripture. Most of the time, you know, a lot of times when you sign your name, you may have a favorite text that you put below it, that's sort of your your life verses. There's something that you just live by day by day. And mine is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. Two of those verses in verses 21 and 23 says this, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read on, verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You see, I, I got some exciting things I want to talk to you about about the functions of the New Testament church. There's some exciting things that a New Testament church does. But before we talk about those actions, I just want you to realize today, folks, our focus, if we're going to be a New Testament church, the focus of the church has got to be the glory of God. Jesus Christ, Him living in each and every one of us, And our lives, each and every one, because that's what he's building the church with, is the people. It is the body of Christ. So therefore it should be Christ that's being seen, not you and I. And I can promise you, where Christ dwells, the glory of God dwells. So as we begin to look at these things that we're going to be looking at concerning the functions, I gave you a list of some of them last week. They're here in my notes somewhere the ministry of worship the ministry of warmth and fellowship the ministry of work and service the ministry of the word and teaching the ministry of witnessing there there are new testament functions that the church has got to be involved in but i'm saying it's all worthless our worship our witness all of our service everything that we do if it's not bringing glory to him then we just got a bunch of programs that are doing nothing and today. Folks, I never want to leave you. I look around. As far as I know, you're all Christians here today, but I don't know anybody's heart. And I don't know who might be listening to this sermon on the internet out there, but I know this, that without Jesus Christ in your life, folks, I don't mean it mean. You need to wake up and realize your life is worthless. There's no way. There's no way that your life can even have the purpose that it was put here for, the very reason that you were created, the very reason that you live, is to bring glory to God. That can only happen in Jesus Christ. Only in Christ. If you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior today, if you, I don't care what else you've ever done, I don't care what good things you've done. I don't care how sincere you are in your heart. I don't care how many times you've prayed to him. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how many times you've gone to church. What I want to know today is if you ever humbled yourself before a holy God and if you sought that forgiveness that can only come by putting your complete faith and trust in what Jesus Christ finished and accomplished for you when he died up on that cross and was resurrected the third day. That's all that matters. That's the only way you're going to get there. Maybe today. Because you know, you can do there's there's people that have done a lot of good things, but it's still worthless if it's not done in Christ and if it doesn't bring glory to him. Or if you need Christ today, today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. God's given it to you. If God's dealing with your heart right now, we looked here just not too long ago, folks. <laughs> Don't procrastinate like Felix did. God's Spirit doesn't always strive. And if God's Spirit quits drawing you, you'll never have a desire to come today. Is God dealing with your heart? Respond if you need to. And Christians, what can I say? You know, God's got so much for us. God will build. His church will be perfect. But we need to let Him build this church here, this local church as well. He's the one that's got to do it. And may everything we focus on, may it be to bring glory to Him. Not to us. I've been pastor here (laughs) more years than we like to think now. Simple truth is, if anything has happened, if any soul has been saved, if any good has been done, if anything has been accomplished, I know better than anybody, it's only God. And it's only what He builds that will last. If you're here today and you made a profession of faith, because of this preacher, then you probably still lost. <laughs> but if you made it because that God, God by His wonderful grace and mercy, through the power of His Spirit, He came and spoke to your heart and dealt with your heart. and He drew you to the foot of the cross. He gets all the glory, folks. And that's what we need, everything that we do to bring glory to Him. Father, we thank You this morning. Lord, there's so much, so much, so much that could be said. Father, I pray that in trying to put all these things together that, Lord, you've taken and been able to bring understanding. Lord, that you've been able to speak to hearts what needs to be spoken here this morning. And Lord, now we ask that you would accomplish that which only you can accomplish. Lord, would you save that one that is lost? Would you, by the power of your Spirit, show them their need, draw them to that situation, Lord, where that they could truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do the work that only you can do in the heart. And Father, for every Christian here, if there's Christians here that, Lord, that maybe, maybe they haven't been redeeming the time very wisely. Maybe there are many things in their lives that really, if asked honestly, it's not bringing glory to you. Lord, may they put you first, and we know that you'll bring. You'll bring a greater joy than this world can ever give. Help us, Lord, as individuals. Help us as a church. Help us to be what you would have us to be. Help us to be all that we can be in Christ, that by everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that is a part of our life might bring glory to you, and we give you praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen.